Idris Hills was born in the Ronda and is a photographic artist and photography lecturer. He has worked in the field of photography for 25 years and specialises in large format photography. He won the gold medal for fine art at the National Eisteddfod in 2006 for images from his project Farewell Rock. He has exhibited widely in Wales, including shows at the National Library and the National Museum of Wales. A fine photographer, I might say, at the very outset. <laughs> You're too and, I've, and I've enjoyed your work, looking at your work, um, and um, you've had great success with your work. Um, you've, you're actually a gold medal winner at the A. Stanford. I am indeed. Uh -huh. Would you like to talk about that work and how you went about uh, the work that showed there? Well, the work that was shown in the A. Stanford was, I think, 2005 in Swansea, and it was called Farewell Rock. Status quo and not involved. <laughs> um, there's the road that goes from Brynamman to Langadog, and I've walked it, I've cycled it, I've driven, and I've always stopped at that first corner from Brynamman, and there's just this remarkable view. Never done anything with it. And then one day, I was reading a map, and if you want some peace and quiet, you just give me a map. And it was a geological map. And on the map, it just said, Farewell Rock. What on earth does that mean? So I went and looked, I've got some geological books, and it just meant the end of the call. That, don't bother looking any further miners, we're going up towards Mid-Wales, there isn't any more coal, the end of the coal belt is there. So that name just instantly rang a bell. And like I've always done this, I suppose for 20 years, I like the idea of making images of names. So the moment I got that name, right, I can make pictures here. It also happened to coincide with me getting hold of a, an 8x10 view camera for the first time. Mm -hmm. And again, one of those things, I'd had a 5.4 camera since I was 16, moved up to 7x5, but then the amazing eBay produced an 8x10 camera for a ridiculously cheap amount of money. And I just plonked the camera on the tripod one Sunday afternoon and pointed it over. It had one lens and it just made that composition and that was it. I was away. And I've just returned to that sort of 200 yards of road and just walked up and down it and pointed the camera down. People think I'm in a helicopter. No, I'm on the side of the road and just thought about that name and what it meant and how could I somehow portray, well, there's no call in the images in any sort of way, but it's the idea that it's over. That part of South Wales, that industry has gone, and can I make images of landscapes with that title that say something, well, something's ended here, things are moving on. Mm. And that was the whole point behind them, really. Um, and the fact that then I could shoot them on this enormous big colour negative meant that I could make enormous big prints and blown up you can see every blade of grass and all this extraordinary detail. Um, a few years earlier I'd read a fantastic novel by Cormac McCarthy. Um, I don't recommend reading Blood Meridian before going to bed. It'll, it'll give you nightmares for years. But he's, he's a fantastic descriptor, uh, writing descriptions of landscape. And he talks about looking at the, the desert and he says the desert has an optical democracy. Wow, optical democracy. And that, as that stuck in my mind and haven't got rid of it. So I was looking at Farewell Rock and thinking, optical democracy, and this is it. This is where I can put this optical democracy theory of mine from Cormac McCarthy into place in South Wales. So I'm trying to make images where nothing is more prominent in the image than anything else. Forget about your rule of thirds, leading lines. I just want it to be as descriptive and non-specific. The whole image and every single centimetre of that image has to count and say something about that place. Mm -hmm. So it was a, it was a fabulous experience. Um, I think I started the work in about 2001. Well, it's 2019 now and I still haven't finished. Still, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm looking for 18 to 20 good pictures. 
I think there were four or five in the East Edinburgh in 2005. And with specific names to them, yes? Well, they're all in this one place. Right. All in this one place. And of course, I suppose I'm also interested in only making the pictures where I can see as much of the landscape as possible. So they're all winter pictures. Not interested in doing a seasonal project. The moment the, start, the, the grass starts greening, I've lost interest. So within reason, I've got between sort of November and March and I need a still quiet day. Not many of them, but that's the, you know, I've totally, utterly flat light. That's what I'm looking for to make those pictures. So I can see as much of the landscape as possible. There's as, there's as little ground cover as possible on the land, just to reveal what's underneath and what's behind everything that I'm looking at. So looking in depth mm -hmm. is really important for you then? Yes, indeed. This idea of just turning up somewhere taking the camera out, taking a few pictures and moving on. I did that for a few years when I was a teenager and sort of into my early 20s, but I very quickly realised that I wanted to say more than just the snap and that the image had to sort of say a lot more about what I was photographing. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I need to know more about that piece of land before I actually go there with my camera to make that picture. And there'd been a sort of um, a development in your photography because uh, you, you uh, uh, five by four and mm -hmm. moving on. Yes. And on. So what did that kind of discipline, did that discipline you started off with mm -hmm. help you with the 10 by 8? Because the 10 by 8 is an enormous piece of kit mm. to begin with. Um, and you're looking at the world in a completely different way. Through yes. The, the, um, so um, was that sort of... Um, uh, the hard work you've done before allowed you to use the 10 by 8 in the way that you wanted. Yes, as in this idea that you have to use a tripod. Yeah. You know, everything is slowed down. Yeah. You know, there's no such thing as a motor drive, thank goodness. <laughs> um, and I also quickly realised that the less film I took with me, the more concentration and the more thought I put into every image. So I never take more than four sheets of film. So for the whole day, I've got four pictures. It totally concentrates the mind on why I'm taking that picture. Yeah. Is this the moment? Or do I walk away and come back next week? Or even next year? If, it's, if I've been 20 years, what's another year? I mean, it's a huge discipline. It is, yes. Um, so what led you to that sort of discipline? Well, well it, yeah, I've led to it because I've tried everything else. You know, I've, I started off with 35mm. I shot thousands and thousands of pictures on 35mm and then, oh, okay, let, let's try this 120 thing out. But the moment I went to David College of Art and somebody put an MPP folding camera in front of me, I was hooked. And, you know, this whole thing of putting a, a cloth over your head and the, the world is upside down and back to front. Mm -hmm. I just instantly took to it. You know, some of my peers just had no interest whatsoever, but I just lived it from day one. Um, and just, you know, the posting of every black and white image when I started individually yeah. and learning the things about the zone system. Everything is designed to slow you down. Yeah. And I realised that the slower I worked, the better I was making images. It's a kind of a Zen thing, really. Well, yes, yeah, the, 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 the Zen and the Art of Photography, yes. There's, there is a fabulous book, actually, called Zen and the Art of Archery. Um, and there's lots and lots of correspondence between archery and photography, mm. but hitting the target and looking and... Yeah, there's, yeah I, I read quite a lot of Zen books um, in my early 20s. I mean, you're waiting for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, and have you pressed that shutter and thought, ah, didn't get it? I like to say very rarely now. There's, because as you say, it's the discipline, you know, there's, you know, there's something about you that says, now is the time to press it. And the moment it's pressed, it's done. There's no, I don't bracket, you know. <laughs> you press the button and it's, that's, that's the image. Yeah. And there's that heightened awareness, I don't know what else to call it, but there is something that's telling my finger, now is the time to press that cable release. Right. And the picture's taken, and you're packing up and you're moving on. Right. There must be um, a joy in that then. Oh, the huge joy. 
Um, but there's also tension. Um, yeah, there is something quite extraordinary about that moment. Um, and it has taken a long time and patience and practice and to get to know that moment. So are there any uh, photographers that have influenced you in that respect? Well, going back to looking at the Zen days, um, the big influence when I was late teens and early 20s was uh, the American photographer and educator, Minor White. And he, he was massively influenced by Eastern philosophies and religion. And I, because of him, I suppose, I found out about Zen and um, those things. So as, a, as one of the early landscape people, for me, he, he made a huge influence on. And he also, if we'll probably lead on to this, is that he would also use very short lines of poetry next to his pictures. Yes. And I really enjoyed, well, there's the picture, but you're giving me three or four lines of poetry here. And by reading those, I'm getting a totally different feel from looking at this picture now. Mm -hmm. They're not descriptive, but one is bouncing off the other in a really intricate and interesting way. And do you think that's important for um, people who view your work, that they have that uh, little key uh, to what's happening inside your head when you're taking that photograph? I'm not sure if it's important what they see inside my head, but the more I've learnt about photography is that because as a photographer you are there and you're smelling, you're hearing, the wind is in your face and all of that, and then you're pre presenting the picture to the viewer and it's the two-dimensional piece of paper or a two-dimensional print mounted on a wall in a gallery. And sometimes I think I need to just give them something else to give me an idea. And sometimes the title, Farewell Rock, was enough for me just to say, well, okay, what, what exactly does that mean? And if you're interested enough, you'll go and, you'll go and work that out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't want to be totally descriptive and write the whole no, no. treatise of you know, what this is about, but if you're interested enough in the image and that title together, hopefully that opens something else up for the concerned viewer. So you take maybe four pictures um, of um, a particular scene or variations on. Um, no, they would never be. There would never, never be, be variations. variations. No, no, no. Not they, even a slight. No, never. No. Okay. No, that 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 moment is I don't know sacrosanct. It's it is. Yeah, you're moving on to a different location. I would never even just think about moving five yards or you know just moving the camera a fraction. Right. It, it is specific. That's it, and the moment is the moment. So when you go when you. Find a project that you want to work on, or a name that, mm -hmm. uh, that um, you go to the location and you look at the location, yes. and, you, uh, and you're looking at the location through your camera. Mm -hmm. um, uh, how long did it take you to find the exact location that you wanted to shoot? So, if I find somewhere on a map or by reading a book that's interesting, I, the first encounter with the place would usually be without the camera. I would just go and enjoy just the walk, getting there, feeling at one with the landscape. I don't know if that sounds a bit, but I need to know the place. And then, yeah, okay, there's something about this place that I can also photograph. Mm. And I think I can make a photograph that says something to go along with that title. Doesn't always work out, but that's, you know, that's the joy to me. So, after you've ha uh, taken the photographs that you think are the other ones, mm -hmm. obviously the others, the old processing factor comes yes. into it. Mm -hmm. So, what happens when you process? Um, I've I've long ago realised that processing eight by ten film is a specialist job. So it's put in a box, and it's sent to the lab. And the lab don't usually want to bother until I have about 10 sheets of film. So when they're sitting in my fridge comfortably, I don't worry about them. But the moment I give them to the Royal Mail, the butterflies start. And then hopefully three or four days later, they come back from the lab. And I usually get them contact printed um, by the lab as well. And then I know within reason straight away what I've got. Yeah. Um, 
I have unfortunately never had an access to an 8x10 colour in Adger and I doubt whether that's ever going to happen. So working closely with a lab, um, you know, you, you get to know the printer on the other end of the phone and you send them back the negative on the contact print and say, well, I like it, but yeah. can you be slightly warmer? Can you please just burn those corners in? Yeah. Or I'm also very happy to scan my negatives and sort of, well, okay, this is how I want it to look and send them an 8x10 or a 10x12 and then having a chat with the printer at the other end of the phone and more than nine times out of ten, what comes back from the lab I'm happy with. So that relationship is really important? It is, it? yes, yes. Vital, I would say. Uh, totally, yes. It's getting very difficult, especially in the last four or five years, to find actually somebody who will print a negative directly for you. So I'm relying more and more on scanning the negatives and um, making inkjet prints. And I've got facilities to make inkjet prints up to 44 inches wide and however long I want. Mm. Um, so that's been a fascinating learning curve. Scanning colour negatives is a nightmare, to put it politely. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but that's something I've had to learn and it's part of the technical process of getting yeah. the print that you want mm. from the negative that I made on that location. I find it absolutely fascinating that you can, and uh, the discipline involved in what you do is not beyond my comprehension because I work with 35mm live, mm -hmm. although I've worked with, with 120, but I've never actually um, um, followed that through. I love the look of the cameras. Mm -hmm. they, <laughs> sort of, the aesthetic of yes, them is yeah. just absolutely mm -hmm. wonderful. And I, d I remember buying a book actually about um, uh, cameras with bellows and stuff on them. And I thought, and there's a lot to learn. There is a lot to learn, but it's, it's, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it, you know, I teach my students the basics in, in a few hours. Right. But, you know, I, I probably took me a few years and I'm probably still learning a few little bits and bobs as I go. Right. Um, because you can sort of manipulate the perspective a little bit with yeah. large format cameras. Yeah, yeah. And that can be really useful for some things. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. you know, exaggerate your foreground or yeah, yeah. make the background just that little bit further away than it actually is. Um, um, won a gold medal at the Stanford, <laughs> and I think that's just uh, that's mind blowing in itself. Actually. <laughs> I, you know, we don't have we we uh, we in Wales, uh, um, and I think for our listeners in general, we mm. in Wales don't actually um, we don't get lots of opportunities as photographers to show our work. No, you? indeed, and, not. And um, to have it in the National Eisteddfod mm. uh, is a big deal, really. It is a huge deal because the amount of people that see that work in a week mm. is probably, it could be as 50 to 60,000 people would be walking through the Art and Design Pavilion. And, you know, I just loved when it was in Swansea. I would just sort of hide around the corner and just listen to people and <laughs> their reactions. So what sort of reactions did you hear then? Oh, all sorts of things. This guy's been to Mars. He must have been, you know. Where's he been flying over? He's been in a helicopter. And the most amazing reaction was people thought they were pieces of leather stretched over aluminium. And, wow, yeah, yeah of course. Well, well I, just, I just was gobsmacked, really, that they didn't even realise that they were photographs. Yeah. Because, as I say, I'm there. Of course they're photographs. I've made them. But I was just fascinated by, you know, right. what the general public and the people walking through thought of them. I mean, you're an educator, you work in a college. Yes. And um, uh, how do students react to the fact that you work so slowly? Because we live in a very <laughs> fast-living... Uh, oh, well, yeah, of course, all you need now is an iPhone and you're a photographer. Mm. And when I bring in, uh, you know, show them a 5.4 camera, they, they, well, obviously they think, hey, I'm over 50, so I'm ancient. And when I show them a wooden camera with leather bellows, then, well, nobody uses that anymore. Well, surprise, surprise, I do. And you know, we've just, just finished working on a little pinhole project with my first year 16-year-old students. I, and they just still think that I'm not telling them something. They cannot believe that a shoebox or a Pringle can 
mm. is making pictures. They think I'm cheating. They just don't understand how a piece of foil with a hole in it can project an image. Mm. But the more they do it, they, they have actually totally loved doing it. Mm -hmm. And this idea that, well, I've got to think about every picture. Mm -hmm. And then they get the joy of, in college, walking into a dark room and processing it. And if it's too light, they go out and give it a bit more time. If it's too dark, they, so they're learning about light. And I, I, I just love the thing that I'm slowing them down. That's what you've got to do with is youngsters. That, is that the reason then for still um, teaching these things in college? Is that it gives uh, students the ability to learn about things like light and aperture and, mm -hmm. all, and yes. speed and all those things. Yes. Um, and, and applying that, even if they're going off to do digital work, mm -hmm. it's the, it's the same things apply. Indeed. And it's a fantastic transferable skill. You know, they all know Photoshop inside out and back to front. Yeah. And then when you show them a burning and dodging tool in the dark room, oh yes, I've seen that on Photoshop. But by the way, it all started in the dark room first. Mm -hmm. Actually, when you're showing somebody the dexterity of dodging or burning in the dark room, oh wow, okay, so they then understand, well, yeah, I need to be a bit careful with this because it's so easy in Photoshop. If you make a mistake, you just go history, take it back a step. So in everything that they're doing, if they're taking more time and care over their work, I think they're making better work. So, right, well, you've made a, a, a bold statement there, and I, and, I, and I agree with you. So it's all about uh, understanding what you're doing and taking time over it. Yes. Um, do you think that they will hold on to those um, uh, rules, if you like, when they go off to be photographers? Or will they, will they slip back to the easy kind of world we live in today of the digital? Or they might easily slip back into it, but I'm sure some of that will, will be in the back of their minds. Mm. Um, and I, you know, what is the difference today be, between an educated and an uneducated photographer? You know, everybody today is a photographer. Mm. So, if you're coming to college for two years to do a national diploma, well, what's the point in doing that these days? You know, so I'm obviously wanting to pass on some technical skills because, yes, you're going to be a better photographer. And in so doing, well, okay, well, let's think about composing pictures now. Right, oh, okay, we can do that in a few weeks. But then, what do you want to say about the world? Uh, and how are you going to say that clearly than anybody else? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that they've got across their mind. And that's the thing that I'm hoping that as part of their education that we're getting them to think about. Is that, yeah, you can do a selfie, you can do this, you can do that. But actually, what are you saying about yourself? What are we saying about society by doing these self-portraits and whatever else is happening in the digital world. So I don't care what means you're using in the end, mm. it's what are you trying to say by making these pictures. Do you think, um, it kind of worries me sometimes that um, lots of young photographers, there's nothing wrong with copying mm -hmm. uh, or copying styles, yeah. but sometimes I think that people think because a specific style is in the zeitgeist mm -hmm. is uh, what everybody's doing so I need to do it. Yes. Do you think that is um, uh, a viable way to go about your business as a photographer or do you need to look and see the world through your own eyes rather than copying other people's work? Uh, we are living in such an Im image laden society it's very difficult to, to instantly find your own way. Um, the joy for me at the moment is that we have changed our National Diploma provider. Um, and in the good old days, you would be jumping through hoops. You'd have to do stage one, stage two, stage three, and then, right, you have an end product. And the course we're teaching at the moment is far more open-minded. It doesn't really care how you get to stage five. As long as you get to stage five, which is your final finished outcome, that's what's important. We obviously, as part of the learning process, have to say, well, who's done this type of landscape before? Who's done studio portraits before? Who's done still life before? So you're obviously showing them, well, I hope the widest breadth of people who've done that type of photography in the past. Mm. 
and then telling them, well, this has happened before, well, what do you want to photograph then? You know, somebody bought in one of these electronic cigarettes to photograph. Well, I'm not interested in those things at all, but it's the centre of their world. Okay, well, let's make the most interesting photograph of this vaping machine that you can. Mm. Well, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to go back to your work, yes. I think um, uh, you've recently shown um, work that, when you can explain to me, mm -hmm. Mets Woods. Yes. Uh, it was a very important project for you. Oh, it was indeed, yes. Could you explain uh, how, where you started? What was the, what was the drive behind it? Oh, the, the, there's a very instant, clear uh, answer to that in the way that I was sitting in the office one day and my friend Paul Cabot, I think Paul Cabot mentioned me in his interview, so I might as well mention Paul Cabot in my interview. Um, we're both from the same village in the Ronda, but I'm 10 years younger than Paul, so I, I keep rubbing him on that. Um, and Paul just asked me in the office in work one day, have you read in parentheses? And I said, yes, a very long, tom long time ago, and I don't think I got past the first chapter. And whatever, we moved on to discuss something else. But I got home, found the book on the shelf, and I picked it up, and I read it. And I got further than the first chapter, I read it all, and I was totally transfixed. And I thought, well, where is this Mehmet's Wood place, you know? And I was going on holiday to Paris that July. Oh, goodness, it's 25 minutes off the motorway to go to Mehmet's Wood. Well, I've driven to the south of France, I don't know how many times, and you're driving through the Valley of the Somme, it says very clearly, and it's never been of any interest whatsoever to stop and look. But I, the moment I realised Mehmet's Wood was there, I was going. So I did a little, little bit of background reading about um, what had happened on the 10th of July, 1916. I thought, wow, this is a bit amazing. You know, how can I have lived all my life without really knowing anything about this? So I drove off the motorway and you're driving down in these amazing roads, glorious July day. And then you get to this tiny village called Mamets five houses and a, and a, you know, that's it really. And there's a, there's a Welsh road sign, you know, in the middle of France. So you follow this sign and then it takes you to another sign and then you're going down the farmer's track. Oh, this can't be it. There's a big monument down here somewhere. And I got to the end and there's a, what was it? There was a Welsh bus, Edwards of Ronda, parked. And I opened the door of the car and there's about 25, children standing by the David Peterson Dragon singing the Welsh National Anthem where you know I was just it's just incredible so I quickly ran out to the car and had a look and see what was happening it took some snaps on my phone mm -hmm. had a chat with the kids why were they there they were from Tanhari and you know they were just doing a battlefield tour okay so the, the wood I suppose is about a hundred yards across the field uh, signs everywhere saying do not enter do not enter but anyway I was I wasn't gonna stop me so off I went and you have to sort of walk through a really dense canopy and you just enter this woodland and it's incredibly dark you're going from total glorious sunshine to what seems like midnight but very quickly I could see crater holes <laughs> you know it's a hundred years ago and this still looks like We've recently had a battle here. I was immediately sort of, well, this is extraordinary. So I had a really quick walk around. Right, okay, back to the car, got the tripod and my two double dax lights. <laughs> and within an hour, I'd taken my four pictures. So off I went, had my two week holiday in France. And right on the way back, I'm stopping again. And I stayed for three days and so that would have been about 12 or 15 pictures and I, by then I was, you know, totally obsessed by the place, reading up anything I could on the internet, finding out more about David Jones, reading and rereading in parentheses. And I just realised, right, that's it. I'm going to come back to this place. I'm not going to make it seasonal. The battle happened on July the 10th. I was there very close to July the 10th. I'm going to come back every year, as close to the, the date of the main battle as possible and make some pictures until I build up a project. 
it didn't take me long to work out, well, you know, centenaries couldn't come up mm-hmm. in six or seven years. Mm-hmm. So after about two or three years, I realised, okay, I've got a really interesting project coming here, I think. So I approached the National Library in Aberystwyth. They have the David Jones archive. So I was allowed to go and read, in parentheses, you know, in his handwriting, little drawings and sketches and everything else. And every July for the next six years, I would spend six or ten days in the song, just going to Mehmetswood. I didn't go anywhere else. You know, Delville Wood and Highwood are all very close, mm. but I just, I'm just going to go here. Mm. And it's 200 acre woodland. And again, there's wonderful signs telling you not to go in, it's not safe. There's live ammunition still on the floor and shells. And the trees are still pushing these shells up from the ground. But I just was totally captivated by the place. Um, and I spent hours and hours there every day just making sense of the place, getting my bearings. I, I'm not somebody for getting lost. I've got a very good sense of direction, but I got lost in that place more than once. Mm-hmm. And I found some amazing places. I would like to come back here on another day, never found them again. And you're just thinking, wow, well, people, 4,000 Welsh people mm-hmm. were killed, injured, or you know, harmed in this place in the morning. It's just too overwhelming to think about, really. So I'm glad I went and spent that much time there. And I got the exhibition ready for 2016. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been to the Grigg Gallery in Aberystwyth. Mm-hmm. It's a rather huge, intimidating place. And I think I made 50, 40 by 50 inch prints. That just about filled the place, <laughs> but it was it was an extraordinary experience. Um, I, I've never put such a big body of work together before. Um, Sarah published uh, a Mamet book at the same time, so I think there's there's about eighty pictures in the book. Um, but it, it was and still, you know, I can't go anywhere with the people asking me about the project. And it was it the same approach? Oh, totally large format camera. Um, but I had to even slow down even more, really, because I don't think a single exposure that I made in the wood was less than 10 minutes. Some of them would have been 30 minutes or half, you know, a bit longer. And I, did, and I sort of also did these pictures that I did at twilight, and some of them were two hours. And when you're in this wood and you know what's happened there, and you're sort of setting up in sort of, you know, enough bright light to focus, and then you're waiting for it to get darker, and then you open your shutter, and you're there in this extraordinary silence, which is never silent, standing by your camera for two hours, you know, all sorts of things start happening in your imagination. Mm. And I think some of those dark pictures have got that sort of, well, what is going on here? And that's what I wanted to sort of portray in some of those images. Mm. And then when you're reading in parentheses again, you know, Jones is saying that the most dangerous time of day for the soldiers was twilight. Are those trees? Are they Germans moving towards us? What am I actually seeing? Um, and trying to get that mood um, into some of those images was sort of really important. So it must have had a profound emotional... Oh, enormous, enormous, yes. And of course you can't go anywhere in the song without passing a cemetery. And some of them have got thousands, 20,000 in some of them. Mm. And some of them are five or six. And every single one of them has a story. Mm. And it's just... You know, I was thinking, well, David Jones has come a long way to, to come here to fight. Mm. And then there's people from India, New Zealand, South Africa, mm. all over the world came to this hell. Mm. You know, and you, there's a sign at the side of the road that says, this is where the front line was in July. And this is where the front line was in November. And you're probably talking about a kilometre. And half a million people died. Mm. So we could just move forward a thousand meters yeah it, no, the whole place totally got to me if, if there was one image from that series that um, uh, would stand out for you mm-hmm. is there any specific image? i suppose the, the, my the one that stands out for me is one of the the, the night pictures 
where it's a very, very, it looks like a trough, and even like I'm in a canyon or a trench, mm. and I'm in a really, really dark place, but there is just this glimmer of light right at the end of the picture. And I think that's the one that sums up the whole project for me, if I could sum it in one picture. Mm. That there was some sort of light at the end of this really, really dark place. Mm. Um, there's a question, are you working or have you ideas in your head about projects? Well, there's always something to be done. Um, obviously, the last two and a half years of my life have been slightly thrown a sort of a kibosh, really, because um, I became a father when I was 50. <laughs> and nobody really explained to me how much of my life would be taken up running after a little child. And that's, so that's totally had another profound effect on my life, really. And for the first time since I was 15 or 16, photography has taken second place in my life. Which, in a way, has given me a lot of time to think about, well, A, I haven't got so much time now to make pictures, so I've really got to make the best of every moment. So I really want to finish off 18 or 20 pictures for Farewell Rock. That would be a great thing to finish off. So. I've got another four or five weeks now, this year, I think, and hopefully I can get a couple of pictures done for that. It's really nice to finish things off. I've got too many irons in the fire. I just need to get things finished. Um, and I've been photographing the horizon for a very long time as well. They're mostly nighttime sea pictures. Mm. I think the sea's incomprehensible. Totally. I, I just, it's so big, so vast, so deep. Mm and I can't swim and I'm petrified of water, but I just have to stand at the side of it. There's something so compulsive about doing that. And then there's this sort of this catharsis thing where I want to say something about it, but how can I do it? And the only way to do it is to be there with your camera. You know, sitting at home thinking about it doesn't work as a photographer. You've got to be out there doing it. Mm. So any chance that I get to stand or sit on a cliff for a while and just see gaze, is total relaxation and everything yeah. else rolled into one. Do you have some of those uh, kind of uh, images? And um, you worked with um, um, uh, using Waldo Williams's yes. uh, poetry. Mm -hmm. And there are some. Um, how did you? Because uh, he's a he's a kind of uh, he's a he's an amazing poet and mm -hmm. um, and has had an influence on the way I think about things. Yes. Um, how did you approach that commission? In a way, very easily, because he was my favourite Welsh poet. So when the phone call came, are you interested in doing this? I would have paid them to do it, <laughs> you know. The fact that I could have my name and Walter Williams on the same book. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you know the whole story, but I think I was given the commission in February and they wanted the book out by the Esteddfod in August. And, well, okay, um, that's not totally doable with new pictures. Mm. So, you know, I've been taking colour negative pictures for, uh, you know, 15 or 20 years. So some of them were going back through my library. Mm -hmm. But they would have been pictures that I was already thinking about. Well, I did a project when I was in university about Mounday Guy in two fields. Mm -hmm. So I think that was it. 18 picture sequence, so most of those pictures ended up in the book. And I was given a list of things to photograph. <laughs> we want a picture of the, uh, the electricity station from the bridge at sunset. We want a photograph of the Cromlech at Pentra Ivan. So I decided I was not interested in any of these things, and neither would Walter Williams have been interested in these things. So I was a bit sly and a bit cheeky, really, because Gomer did pay me up front. Thank you very much. So every time I got a phone call, can we see what you're doing, I was always too busy. I was always off on the next shoot. And then when the deadline came, well, I've got to have the pictures by next week, then the pictures arrived. And then it's too late. You either take my pictures or you don't use them. Thankfully, they liked them. 
but none of the things they'd asked for were in the book. Did you have any choice? Because I, I, uh, with the book, um, the, most of the photographs are very central on yes. pages. Did you have a say in the d design? I did. Um, we had a, a bit of an argument about that as well. Um, but I wanted the book to be... I think the space around the pictures was so, so important. I argued and argued that I did not want a single full bleed picture in that book. I just about, I think, got my way. I would have liked a couple of fold-out triptychs. I wasn't allowed those. Um, but I did get my white borders. So they're very small pictures, mostly, yes. uh, with lots of white space. What was the reasoning behind that, Alad? I think they just, because you're mixing words and images, you just need to have space. And if they're too dominant, then the words, you don't see the words. And in the way that they have to bounce off each other rather nicely. Um, and in a way, I also did not want my pictures to be so bold as that you would not read the poetry. Because at the end of the day, it's a book of Waldo's poetry. And I've got some pictures in there as well. Mm -hmm. I made, I, oh well, again, there was a little bit of a fight about this. That they wanted the bits of text to be descriptive to go with the images, and I totally did not want to do that. Mm. So we had quite a few interesting debates, even fights, mm. about... But, okay, well, if you're going to give me... If we're going to have to use those words, let me have then three or four pictures to make a little sequence that mm. bounce off that sentence or those few words. Mm. I just didn't want one photo, one bit of text, one photo and another bit of text. Mm that just wouldn't have worked for, for either of us, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Um, um, yes, yeah, a difficulty, uh, and I think, um, I think most photographers, unless they are kind of designers, or, uh, it's, it's the one area that causes difficulty, isn't it? Because, in a sense, your work is taken by somebody else, mm -hmm and used by somebody else, mm. and it, they, they, it's, they, they have a vision for how the things should yes. work. And it, it can cause uh, tension. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but you're very precise, uh, that's the, I think that's what I get from you really, is the precise nature of how you think about the world and you think about photography. Mm -hmm. That it all dovetails together from, yes. from books mm -hmm. to poetry mm -hmm. to um, a specific place to geology and all these combination of things come together yes. in order to create the picture. Indeed, very much so, yes. Nothing happens by accident, huh. you know. Everything is thought through um, as carefully and as diligent, diligently as possible. Mm. I'm working towards that one image that says what I wanted to say. Yeah. Looking back through your career as yes. a photographer, mm -hmm. and you, you say you look back at, you know, I mean, you've been taking photographs since you were 16. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go back and look at that stuff and think, well, maybe, um, you know, these, I, I can see a line through here. Mm -hmm. Do you see that line? Yes, there is a line, but there's a termination to that first line as well, in a, in a way. That the, the, the moment I really, and I should have done it, the one thing I sort of regret is that I should have given up on the 35 mil a few years earlier. Um, oh, is it the limitation of the frame that is? No, in, in the way, it, with 35mm, I suppose, like when you're starting off as a youngster, one of the things that was sort of pushed in your direction was, okay, you've got your camera and your lens, now you need another lens and another lens. So, you know, well, I've got this 50 and I'm going to have a 24 and a 28 and then I've got a 70 to 210. And then, but it was the thing to do. It was, I suppose, what everybody else was around me was also doing was that you needed a kit. And the, the moment I got rid of the kit and got one camera with one fixed lens, it was very difficult to do. But the moment I sort of concentrated on that, I was making far better pictures. I was looking with my eyes, knowing what that camera can do. Mm. And I wasn't thinking, well, what lens am I going to use today? Well, I've got that lens and it does this. And that's what I'm going to do with it. And I, I wish I'd have just got to that point in my career a little bit earlier than I did. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and still, I go with the 10.8 and I have one lens for it. 
and that's it. You don't need anything else, mm. you know. And you get to, to know well that two fifty mm lens sees that, and if I stand there, I'll get what I want. Mm. And and in a way, it's taking away all the other bits of periphery that you know. The hassle. Yes, totally. Mm. And you know this idea that you need kit. Well, you just find the bit of kit that works for you. Yeah. And I've found now that that eight by ten color film, the two fifty lens, the big tripod, that's all I need. One would say that it's a very expensive way of doing it. Well, it's it, it yeah, it's frighteningly expensive. Um, but I don't think I've ever made more than fifty pictures in a year. I'm that's right, you know. And if you compare, you know, it would be easy to shoot 50 pictures in a few seconds on a modern digital camera. Um, you know, and if you're buying a digital camera now, well, in, in three or four years, you'll have to buy another one because you'll be out of date with it. Well, yes. as long as Mr. Kodak, and please do, Mr. Kodak, keep makes this colour film, yeah. I'll be a happy man. That is something that does keep me awake at night, is that there's not going to be any more colour 8x10 film. Alright. What will you do if they stop? I'll probably stop. I really don't know. I, I, it, I, it does cross my mind. Lots of people, I go back to black and white. Nah, I, this, I, I did black and white for such a long time. But the moment I got into colour, I found it impossible to go back to black and white. Yeah. You know, there will be people making black and white large format pictures for forever. But yeah, how long people will be making colour in motion is, is a concern at the moment. How much, out of interest, how much does the sheet cost? Um, the sheet costs about 20 quid. £10 to process it and £10 to contact print it. So you're talking about 40 to £45 every time I go click. So that helps concentrate the mind. I bet it does. Yeah, thankfully it does. I, it means, but it does mean that I don't make those stupid mistakes. Mm. Do you, um, to go back to, you found your place, yes. you set up your camera, mm -hmm. and you know exactly what you're going to shoot. Yes. But light comes into the question, mm -hmm. clouds, movement. Uh -huh. um, it was really interesting that you said that um, with Mamets that you uh, had really, really long exposures. And one of the things about the Mamet series mm -hmm. is that you get that, just that tiny movement of tree. Mm -hmm. And that... Um, that helps to create the atmosphere. atmosphere. Indeed, it does. Yes. Yeah, that's un unavoidable with 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 the large format camera in that yeah. place. Yeah. But you, then, okay, well, it's going to move. How can I use it then to my advantage? Um, and I tried some stuff where I made I just photographed things that were moving, and in the end, I decided they were too abstract, for want of a better word, to actually use because only I would understand what was there. Mm. But there were some extraordinary things that happened in my meds. Where you're st well, I stand with my camera, I don't leave it. I'm there looking at what I'm photographing for that 15, 20 minutes. And then a deer would walk through my picture. And of course, the film doesn't capture the deer because he's walking his way through. And then you're thinking, well, what else is moving through here that I can't see? You know, what else can't we as human beings see of what is actually happening in, in front of us? So there's that extraordinary sort of process that happens in your mind. And I say, you have to be there as a photographer. You can't imagine it. You know, you have, oh, to me, I have to be at that location, um, being there, making those images. And that's the total joy. Yeah, I, I, because, you know, I'm, I admire um, uh, you in that sense because, and um, is because it's just more than a photograph, isn't it? It's it's an event. It's a feeling. Yes. It's uh, it's time, mm -hmm. um, and all the, the, and that combination of things mm. is um, obviously part of your DNA. Well, that's critically important for me. But what I've found it difficult is that when you're presenting that to a person, uh, to a viewer as a two-dimensional piece of paper, lots of people just see the two-dimensional piece of paper mm. and nothing else. Mm. Does that worry you? Uh, there are 
enough people <laughs> who see more than just the two-dimensional paper to sort of make sure that I'm okay, that's all right. But I wish more people would take time to just look just that even a few seconds more. But you know that's the you know that's digital photography, isn't it? It's a throwaway medium. What you know? What are the students using these days? Something called Snapchat. Mm. I think the image survives for thirty minutes or something, and it's gone forever. I just, I can't get my head around that. Yeah. You know that's totally impossible for me to understand. Yeah. But that's the way youngsters are communicating, yeah. and I can't change that. That's what they are doing. Yeah. But please, when I put pictures up on a wall. When I show you my book, or not even my stuff, just if somebody's made that effort to print a picture and put it onto a wall, or if somebody deems that work good enough to be published, mm. just have a bloody good look at it and mm. understand what those people are, are, are saying. Mm. And I, there's some education involved there as well, and I'm hoping that, you know, you know, I take my students to art galleries and they say to me, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to look. And you're thinking, well, yeah, they, they don't get it, you know? Everything, you're sitting at home and all this stuff is in your living room being, mm. you now I'm asking you to go to a place to look. And that's a new thing for these kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's got to be part of their education for me. Do you, do you ever get frustrated by uh, the photographic process? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I can I can get frustrated in the way that I'm not getting the picture that I want, and I'm always wanting to be a, a better image maker. Mm. And if every single image came out perfectly, well, I think I get bored. <laughs> you know, the, you know, I, I'm getting better. I haven't got 100 percent yet. I'm probably on 50 or 60 percent of the images that I shoot, I print. But there has to be sometimes a little bit of a disappointment. So then when you actually do nail it, there's that ecstatic moment of, yep, yeah, I got exactly what I wanted in that image.